Welcome to episode four of Podcast Payoffs. My name is Gord Vickman here with Dan Sullivan. Dan, having a blast on this brand new series here. We're sharing some philosophy and some tips and some things that you need to keep in mind about the storytelling element for those who are interested in podcasts. And we're doing this series because we had been approached by coach clients a lot after they had sort of gleaned an interest in podcasting from the shows that you do. And you were getting a lot of questions. I was getting a lot of questions. So we thought, why don't we just launch a series and we can talk not necessarily about the technical mumbo jumbo and which microphone is better than this microphone, because that's the kind of thing that you can sort of either figure out yourself or you can find your who Mm -hmm. who's going to do this for you, which is one of the things that I've suggested Mm -hmm. when clients approach me. You know, Mm -hmm. if your air conditioner is broken at home, you're not going to spend two years in community college learning how to fix an air conditioner. You're just going to call the best person you can find to fix the air conditioner. Mm -hmm. So that concept of who, not how to help you get your show from a technical standpoint off the ground. But then a lot of people were asking additional questions about, well, how can I fill out the show? What are the kinds of things that I can talk about? And that's what we've been discussing you and I on the first few episodes Mm -hmm. of the importance of storytelling and the importance of being relevant and the importance of being interested. Yeah, Yeah, not, you know, being interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, first of all, being interesting requires that you constantly be interesting in a new way or it wears out really fast. You know it from show business that somebody's, a hot new star, but they kind of have a, a rut that they get into, and it's really hot, and then it's still warm, and then it starts getting lukewarm, and they've been locked into being this type of person. You know, this happens in drama. You know, there are stars. When you go there, it doesn't matter what character they're playing. It's actually the star's personality. They can be appearing for 10 years, and it doesn't matter. Different story, different plot, different cast with them. They're still the same character. And after a while in today's world, that just wears out really quickly. So you've been really interesting, and you you bet the farm on being interesting, and you were a hit. But however, it wore out. So what do you have to replace it? We're being interested The input is actually the other person's life, and every new person that you communicate with and you're on the show with, that's a different life. And if you're really good at asking questions about their experiences and things that they've learned, I just really notice the difference on shows where the interviewer is going through a kind of a set routine Mm -hmm. and doesn't really pick up on what the other person is saying and develop it further and allow the story to develop itself. And you can tell that this person really, really isn't interested in who they're talking about. They've got a shtick. It's a formula. And I think formulas wear out really, really quickly in this listening mode especially, because we like this constant, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. Uh, Gee, oh, gee, I wonder where this is going. You have a sense that really good interviewers are themselves being surprised by the answers Mm -hmm. that they're eliciting from the person. They say, oh, my gosh, that's really interesting. I I never heard that about you. So how, how did that happen? Well, that sense of surprise on the part of the interviewer is a real reality touch point because if you're having a great conversation, you're learning things that you never knew before. You didn't have a set way of responding to this type of news. You say, oh, gee, that's amazing. I'd never heard that story before. It's the single most important skill when you're interviewing. If you've never interviewed anyone before, simply listen to what they're saying. And 
It takes a little bit of practice to sort of gain the confidence and the capability to doing this, but any interview script should have one question, should have one question right at the top. And then every subsequent question basically leaps off the answer that your interview subject has said. I don't know why this stuck in my brain. I remember years and years ago, I was watching Much Music, which for those who aren't Canadian, it was like our version of MTV. So they used to hire these kids and they were all kind of young, gregarious, good looking kids. And they would be the VJs, just like MTV had in the States, if you'll be familiar with that. So they had this kid and she had just started at Much Music and she was interviewing this band that we have here, their legendary Canadian band called the Bare Naked Ladies. So you could tell that she had just started her television career and she had paper in hand and she was trembling a little bit and she was interviewing the Bare Naked Ladies and she was asking them about their music recording process. And then one of the members of the band, Stephen Page, I think, was talking about da-da-da-da and he's like, oh yeah, then there was the explosion and the other members of the band go, oh yeah, the explosion. So then they wrapped up their answer. And then the young woman who was interviewing them hopped right back into her script again. And she's like, so tell me about the tour bus. Is the bus comfortable? And meanwhile, and meanwhile every- I'm like, oh, yeah, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, wait Explosion. a minute. Explosion. Like, what blew up? Yeah, yeah. They just lobbed you a giant yeah, softball and you could just knock it right out of the park. Something blew up. Yeah. And granted that, like I said, she had just started her career. I thought looking back now, it's obviously kind of cute because I'm sure that she looks back on that and she's like, damn, I wish I would have asked them about the explosion. (laughs) It's right there for you. And if you're listening when you're interviewing someone, they're going to give you enough little nuggets that you could eventually garner that capability to carry the interview after just one question, just the lead into the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of experience. One question I had for you, I mean, you're... Essentially, when you first got into the radio studio world and the radio program world, you were backstage, right? You were kind of backstage. Yeah. I mean, you had technical capabilities and Mm -hmm. organizational capabilities and packaging capabilities, but it was other people who were the front stage. Picture a radio studio. You have your digital audio console and you have your sliders and your buttons and then you have your music player and then you have your telephone and you have your telephone recording device and you have your internet. And so you have this sort of looks like a cockpit. That was my first role. In radio was By the way, I just want to tell all my listening audience who think I'm really great in podcasts, everything Gord just said, I haven't the foggiest idea of what he's <laughs> talking about. You know, that's why Gord's here, so I don't have to know any of those things. That's right. So that was my role. It was totally backstage, but I had a microphone. And then Darren Laidman, who was my first and my longtime co-host in the radio space, he, much like we were talking about in the previous episode, when his philosophy for radio shows was you create this Sesame Street-like atmosphere where everyone's welcome and there's an open invite, he used to ask me to turn the microphone on and he would ask me a few questions and he would tease me a little bit and I would kind of give it back to him a little bit. So they started getting emails into the station and people were saying, who's this producer Gord guy? Because he said something kind of funny. And we noticed that Darren and I had pretty decent chemistry. So it went from an occasional thing to sort of a weekly thing, and then people were emailing, and they were saying, we would like to hear more of these two people together. So then it became a daily thing, and then it became an hourly thing, and then eventually my program director just said, do you want to join the show as you know a full-throttle co-host? And I said, that's kind of unexpected, but sure. And then yeah. that is basically where it all started. That's what kicked off the 10-year on-air career. But I was totally backstage. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to fly that proverbial helicopter and keep the show on the road. And then it just turned into a front stage thing. I seemed to stumble into front stage capabilities. Well, you did here, too, because <laughs> yeah. you know my role in all parts of Strategic Coach 
whether it's coaching or whether it's marketing or whether it's book writing or it's videos and that I'm the front stage guy. Mm -hmm. But the moment that I started to interact with you because you filled a huge backstage role that was essentially a vacuum not the technical actually recording of that. You know, we could produce the material, but keeping a handle on the universe of new podcast series and these accumulate. And the neat thing, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about this, is that the neat thing about podcasts is that when you discover a podcast series that may have been already in operation for two or three years and there's 60 70 episodes yeah every one of those episodes is brand new material for you they're not old podcasts mm -hmm. because each new discoverer of a new podcast series they've got the complete inventory and each of those is a brand new presentation new idea even though it's three or four years old 100 percent, it's like a living asset always one of the things that we have here at coach on our website, strategicpodcasts.com, we have living assets from your Inside Strategic Coach series with Shannon and all the Multiplier Mindset episodes. People who want to learn coach concepts, people who perhaps in our sales department who have the capability to close, they have these little nuggets of information called the archives where they can simply go and share that link with a prospect or someone who maybe heard of a concept and they want to go and learn more about it. We have this entire stock of shows that people mm -hmm. can send others back to and learn about your thinking and Shannon's thinking and the way that it was done back then and also how they live online. As your new concepts and your new tools come to be and you flesh them out, they just get added to that whole stock and it, it's there forever and anyone can access mm -hmm. it. You know, I'm a big detective story reader. I grew up a reader, so I still read an enormous amount, but mostly fiction rather than nonfiction right now. And I come across these writers who've been writing for 15 years, and they've got 35 books. You know, I'll just at random read one of them, and I say, oh, this is a whole new universe, you know. And then there's just this delicious incredibly enjoyable experience for about three or four months where I just devour all 35 of them, but it's all brand new, even though that world has existed out there unbeknownst to me for 15 years. And mm -hmm. it's, you're just tapping into what you call a living asset. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, that can live online for you too. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, your story will be there for your prospects and clients or anyone who wants to learn about your entrepreneurial yeah. vision they're there for you and you don't even have to do anything they can access these while you're asleep it's super easy to listen to them and like you said once people know where to go to find this stuff they can go back to the yeah. well as many times as they want some of our clients have study groups so you know they read something and they discuss it but more and more i'm noticing they're just sending links to podcasts which in some cases in my cases the multiplier mindset generally don't go beyond eight minutes. It's a single thought. You know, it's got three points. It's got a beginning, and then I loop back the lesson to the beginning. And you can just send those out. You know, you could send out a five-minute, a three-minute, and an eight-minute, and then they discuss it. Something that's three minutes is not boring for people to watch if they're going to talk about it afterwards, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it generates conversations. So... One of the great lessons I learned about the online marketing world right from the beginning was by a real pioneer by the name of Eben Pagan. Eben lives in the Miami area, and he's 
super interesting himself, but he's super interested. But he really noticed in the early days of online marketing that the more really valuable stuff that you gave away for free, the bigger your reputation got because there's an unconscious message. If they're giving this to me and it's so useful and it's for free, I wonder what the stuff is like that I actually have to pay for. <laughs> and he said, you just keep extending the free line, you know. So what would you say our output is in a quarter? How many hours of output with the now 10 series that I have? It's easily 40, you know, 30, 40 hours of it's news. It's got to be, yeah. I think we're tickling 30 or 40 hours. Yeah, and I have a big thing. If I don't have anything to say that day, don't do the podcast that day. You know, the number one rule is that there's something I have to say that just knowing that my entrepreneurs, because I'm really geared to the entrepreneurial world, that this will be valuable for the entrepreneur, whether they ever meet me or not, whether I ever get a dollar from them or not, it doesn't matter. I'm doing good. I mean, you got to be sharp-minded about this, but you also have to be good-hearted about that because that gets picked up very easily. Mm-hmm. You know, First of all, is it relevant, but does this person mean well? Does this person really want me to get better? That kind of touches on the evolution of podcasting as well because you used to hear this a long time ago. People would say, well, if you want to be an authority in your industry, a podcast is a great way to be an authority. You can be an authority. You can be the authoritative figure in the insurance industry if you get a podcast. I remember thinking when I used to hear that all the time it's something didn't sit right with me about being an authority because i always thought well why can't you just be relevant to the people that you're trying to appeal to as opposed to being like an authority figure like you picture this guy with like a crown and a scepter mm-hmm. and a robe on you know barking from this throne of authority well why can't you just be relevant instead of trying to be that authority figure that knows everything and you can't listen to anyone else because there's a lot of things that we talk about here at coach And you're always interested in other people's thinking. And the whole point of strategic coach is thinking about your thinking. You've never told anybody what to think. You're not the authority on thinking. You're simply teaching people the methodologies they need to think about their thinking, not only in workshops, but in podcasts. It's a totally different way of thinking about sharing that kind of information and insight with people, is it not? Yeah, I would say that. First of all, it's my fascination because... Somewhere along the line, it was fairly early, and I think the reason was that I spent a lot of time alone. You know, there's a big age difference between me and my next brother, and a big age difference the other way, too. I was around my parents, but my parents, you know, they let me tag along, but they didn't make a big production about me. You know, I mean, they weren't asking me, Dan, I just want to check, is this real quality time for you? (laughs) You know, know, they, they let me go to the market. They let me go buy seed. They let me go and visit with other farmers. And I just got to tag along, you know, and then it was my job to make the experience interesting. It wasn't my parents' my parents job to make it interesting and i made it interesting because i would ask them you know why do you do this you know how does the market work and i remember the first time my father took me to the big market so we live 60 miles from cleveland and you'd pick the crop that day and then you had to package it and then around 11 o'clock at night you got in the truck and you drove to the market because the buyers for the next day for all the stores and restaurants they came at around three o'clock in the morning And I remember really, really wanting to go, you know, and everything. But, you know, I was like five or six. And then my mother said, you know, 
I've talked to your dad about this, and he said he's going to be alert and, <laughs> and careful <laughs> about you and not going to let you wander around. But here's some rules. you got to stay with him all the time. You can't wander off like you are prone to do <laughs> because you could just disappear. And I don't want to be home worrying about you when you're down there. So, you know, some rules. And I was cool about that. You know, I mean, I was cool about the rules. If I followed them, it didn't worry my parents, you know. And I remember going to this market you know, when you're, you know, three foot eight or four foot two, the world seems a lot bigger. I remember just the phenomenal action and all the shouting and, you know, a lot of joking and, you know, people seeing each other and making fun of each other and everything else. And it was just this fascinating world. And I bet that gave me about um, two or three weeks of material to ask my father, you know, well, who runs the market and how's the market work and how did you find out about the market and when did you go to the market the first time? And and my dad on his farm, because he grew up on a farm, his great role was he was the only child who could sell, you know, so they could all create the crops and everything else, but dad was the one who could sell. And that landed with me that if you want an exportable skill, that makes you useful anywhere in the world. You can't just do stuff. You have to be able to sell. You have to be able to communicate. That was really, really great for me. And I have always said nothing moves on the planet unless somebody sells it. And the best sellers are people who really understand life from what's going on in their customer's life. Not what they want to do to the customer, but what they can do for the customer. You know? mm-hmm. And that's the relevance that you're talking about. I want to take back, because this really brings it back to you and me, that when you came to the final meeting, because I had really put you through a screening that didn't involve me, because I'm a good salesperson. The last person you want hiring anybody is somebody's <laughs> a salesperson, because you have a tendency, whether the person's right or not, to make the sale. You, know? <laughs> you just want to close. You just want to close. I just want to close. But when you came in, you really impressed me, because you had actually listened to a lot, a of, lot, the, of, them, lot yeah. of the podcasts, and you had a lot to say about Actually, what I was doing right, which is not a bad policy, by the way. Yes, it worked. A bad strategy. (laughs) You didn't come and say, well, you know, you're not doing this right and you're not doing this right. This is, you know, just prudence. This is called prudence in Mm -hmm. life. You know, tell people what they're doing right before suggesting how they can improve it. Yeah. But you told me a story about a podcast where I'd used a story about my father Mm -hmm. as the story, and it kind of impacted you on what I was willing to do and share on air. That's what I knew that I had a lot to work with because when we're talking about this issue of relevance, one of the most important byproduct of relevance, I guess, is the issue of being trustworthy, right? So there's that element of reciprocity there, but somebody has to go first. So you had told the story about your dad and you mentioned that he was a little bit hard to reach for most of your Mm -hmm. childhood. And then there was a medical emergency. Well, he had a nervous breakdown when he was 63. And he had come from a family that it wasn't an affectionate family, you know. And to a certain extent, my mother, too, they became affectionate people. And it was their own growth that accounted for that because it wasn't the environments that they came out of. And my father especially, you know, he was admirable. He worked hard. You know, he was there, but he wasn't really affectionate at all. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just 
didn't like talking about personal stuff. And I dragged a lot out of him because of my questioning, but generally he wouldn't share things that were happening. And then when he was 63, he had a nervous breakdown. He just broke down one day and went away for about five, six weeks. And when he came back, he was a changed man. And he died at 83, so it was the last 20 years. He was affectionate and caring and everything else. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, he was going through it, and, you know, he was having a lot of difficulty, and he wasn't sleeping well, and he was crying. And one day he woke up and he says, okay, I'm better, I'm going home. And he was a transformed man. So much of what we know about my father and what we remember really came from after age 63 when he kind of opened up. Yeah, he really opened up. So you told that story on an episode of Multiplier. And even before I joined Coach, I heard that episode and I remember thinking, wow, that's just fantastic radio. It's good broadcasting because you're willing to go first. You don't know what people are going to do with that information. You don't know if they're going to hold it against you. You've even told me before that there are people who you've been very open about the fact that you were divorced and divorced bankrupt, and on, the bankrupt same day. on the same day. And you said you've even had prospects say, well, I don't know if strategic coach is for me because Dan Sullivan went bankrupt once. They've actually said that in the Well, past. I told about two failures I'd had on the same day yeah. that had really flipped me. Yeah. you know, But they didn't get the flip yeah. into the transformation they got. Well, I can't trust somebody who would be that bad at marriage or that bad at their business that they would fail. And they're talking about their failures. I can't trust somebody who talks about their failures. <laughs> you know. And I said, oh, you want me to talk about my successes? Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean. They never recognized that as the catalyst for what propelled you to become yeah. and to build what you've essentially built. Yeah. And I've really carried that over more and more to my coaching that I'll never ask any of my strategic coach clients in the workshop to take a look at their experience and talk about the lessons they've learned from their own experience until I've already led about that specific context and what it means to me and what I've learned from it. So mine is all written out on a sheet of paper that they see. And I asked you, you got a blank sheet of paper. This is my filled-in sheet of paper, and this is my story, and this is what was bad about it. This was what was good about it, and this is the lessons I got from this. And it'd be interesting to see if you go through the same type of thinking, what you'll come up with. And then I'm going to have you share this with other people in the room. But I never, ever suggest that they should do any thinking where they have to disclose something about themselves until I've already demonstrated, hey, this is what I've learned, you know. Yeah, it's not so bad. So that seems like a logical point to wrap up episode yeah. four of Podcast Yeah, Chaos. this has been great. You know, we're surprising ourselves because I would say that probably about, we shoot for 25 minutes with these, but I would say about 20 minutes of that was entirely unpredictable before we started what mm -hmm. actually came out. And again, it's the useful unpredictability that really, really is relevant, mm -hmm. uh, relevant. I once heard this psychiatrist, he said, you know, the number one problem in life, just generally, is that we always compare our insides with other people's outsides. Mm -hmm. So we look at ourselves and it's complicated and not everything fits and there's things, you know, there's complexity, there's contradictions, there's things that you wish you'd done better. And you got this whole monologue going on inside of yourself. And then other people just have their act together. You know, they, look at how smooth they are. Look how confident they are. And meanwhile, we know <laughs> lots and lots of horror stories from 
from the entertainment world of people who look like they have it all together and they're just a disaster. (laughs) But we don't realize that, you know, Shakespeare said, you know, all of life is a theater and we're actors on it. There's a part of everybody's life that nobody wants to see your backstage. You know, they don't want you talking about your backstage. They want to know, do you have some ideas? And you try to present them and package them. But this podcast medium actually gives you the best of both worlds there. You you have your act enough together that you can put on a podcast and you can organize it. And, you know, you know how to get it out there to 10 people and then 100 people and 1,000 people. And that's great skill. But you can really tap into your personal experiences and be very, very forthright about them and very, you know, saying, you know, I learned from this. You know, I learned from this mistake. And it almost seems like you can't do that in the video world. The video world is a little bit too much at you. Yep demands all of your senses whereas a podcast it's the theater of the mind you can put this on and your mind can drift off dan and i can be wearing anything you want us to be wearing we can look any way you want us to look we can be sitting in any kind of room you're creating this now that i've suggested it you're creating this vision in your head of what's going on when you're in that audio medium you don't have it dictated to you yeah i think that's one of the reasons why audio storytelling and podcasts essentially have been exploding in popularity. Yeah, I've certainly learned a lot since we started this, and I have a feeling that you and I, in our teamwork to have maximum impact from what we're creating here, are going to be perhaps the most transformed people as a result of this process. I certainly hope so. That's a wrap on episode four. Thanks, Dan. 